we're gonna do session 11, which is death and resurrection. In order to understand death and resurrection, we have to understand the nature of humanity. The nature of humanity. What is our nature? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Paul says, now, may the God of peace himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Those are English words that come from Greek. The Greek for body is soma. If you've ever heard of like psychosomatic illnesses, that's talking about illnesses in your body that are coming from your, your mind. So soma just refers to your body. And if we use the metaphor of a computer, it would be analogous to the hardware, which is the actual machine. So in this particular case, it would be your brain, your neurons, your glia. All the physical structures of your physical being are your body, your soma, your hardware, the machine. The Greek word for soul is psyche, from where we get psychiatry and psychology. And it would be analogous to a computer software. It is your beliefs, your, your language that you speak. These are all part of the software. Whatever language or languages you speak, these were not genetically pre-programmed before your birth. These were uploaded based on your life experiences. And you have now a, a, a data system or a, a software system that processes language in a certain type of language. And if you're like me, only speaking one language, you don't get up in the morning and say, you know, today I'm going to think in English. You never make that. It's always on. And everything gets filtered through it. But that was not genetically pre-programmed. That's part of the software that is unique to my mind, as well as the way I see and believe about God, the people that I love. These types of things are not genetically pre-programmed. They are part of what I have chosen to assimilate into my personhood, the psyche, the soul, the software. And the spirit, uh, the Greek word is panuma, from where we get pneumonia or pneumatic, or, um, um, which means either air or wind or breath, as in breath of life. Breathed into them the breath of life, and they became a living being. This is the energy source. So in order to have an operational computer, think about your computer for a moment, you have to have all three. If you have hardware and software but no electricity, will it operate? If you have electricity and software, but no hardware, will it operate, etc.? Two out of three, you have a non-operational system. In order for it to function, it requires all three. Same thing with a human being. In order to have a functional, living, operating human being, you need a body, hardware. You need a soul, psyche, software, individuality, identity. And you need life energy, panuma, the breath of life coming from God. All three are required. When our computers run out of power, what state do they go into? They go into sleep mode. And how does the Bible describe those who die that first death, that what we call death, that human description of death? How, how, what does it describe? We go into what state? We go into sleep mode. But Jesus said those who die, uh, those who, excuse me, believe in him will never die. God does not describe or, deter, or consider this sleep condition as death, i.e. the wages of sin is death. The day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. This was not the day you eat of this tree, you're going to sleep. 
This is death that is the wages of sin, which is a non-existent state. This is not what Jesus is referring to when he says those who believe in him will never die. Uh, he, he, was, uh, he was not referring to the sleep. He was referring to that eternal death from sin. Martin Luther described death as a sleep. He, he wrote, it is enough for us to know that souls do not leave their bodies to be threatened by the torments, by torments and punishments of hell, but enter a prepared bedchamber in which they sleep in peace. So this is, a, this is what the Reformers thought. This is not a, a, myst, a mystical thing that we've just created. This is well known to people who study the Bible. When your com computer is in sleep mode, is it destroyed? What happens if you back your computer up on a cloud? Get your mind around that idea, folks. You back your computer up on a cloud and someone destroys your machine. What happens then? Your machine is now, the physical machine has now been destroyed, melted in a fire. But before it happened, you backed it up on a cloud. Is your computer destroyed? Hmm. Some say yes, some say no. Well, Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body, the hardware, the machine, but cannot destroy the soul, the psyche, the software. See, if somebody has your machine your actual laptop computer in their hand, and you have all the data backed up on a cloud server, are you really afraid of them destroying the machine? Is that your real serious concern? Or is it the loss of the data? That's right. Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy your body. They can't destroy your soul. So what happens when we die? This death that we call death, that, the, that God and the Bible describes as asleep? Well, the body, the hardware, disintegrates back to dust. And there's some Bible verses in your reference guide that tells you where you can find those texts to tell you that. The body turns to dust. From dust you were taken and dust you will return. The spirit, the pneuma, the life energy, in, which is consistent with the first law of thermodynamics, and the first law of thermodynamics is that energy is neither created nor destroyed, it's conserved. And so when the life energy that you've been using, that God has breathed into the human species, uh, breathes its last out of your body, that life energy returns to God who gave it. The spirit returns to God who gave it. That's life energy. But what about the soul, the psyche, the software, the individuality? Well, according to Scripture, it's safe and secure in Christ, in heaven, with Christ on the Lamb's book of life, on the heavenly servers. Now, if you've not heard this before, look at the biblical evidence for this. The person sleeps, waiting to be downloaded into new hardware, a new body. We call that a resurrection. Look at Paul's description, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that, now get this phrase, folks, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay, now this is quite profound. For, for two sides of the coin, I know some Christians who believe that you sleep in the grave and you're not in, in secure with Jesus in heaven, and there's this argument about, no, my loved one's with Jesus in heaven. No, they're in the grave. No. Well, Paul says they're coming back with Jesus from heaven. But there's this other side of that argument. Well, they're in heaven up there celebrating, having a great time, uh, worshiping, praising. No, Paul says they're coming back in a state of sleep. Notice they're both there. Both sides of that uh, uh, argument have little, uh, what I call, misunderstandings. 
our loved ones, our individuality, they're on a cloud server. Safe and secure with Jesus in heaven and according to the Bible, in a state of sleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice in one passage, we have the same righteous dead coming down out of heaven and coming up out of the grave. Same people. Because we're tripartite. We're three parts. And when Christ returns, he creates new bodies. Guess guess what, guys? We get a hardware upgrade. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Have you ever done like me? Um, I've done occasionally. I look in the mirror and and I thank the Lord that this is not as good as he can do. If you haven't yet, just give it a few years. You will. It's really true. We get a hardware upgrade. That's exciting. And so out of the dirt of the earth, the mud of the ground, God creates new bodies, but he's bringing with him the souls, the individualities, the software, the psyche of all those who have died trusting him and in a state of sleep. He downloads them from the cloud servers into the new bodies and breathes in the panuma, the breath of life, and they live again. Isn't this exciting? So what did God then, understanding this dynamic, what did God do in Old Testament times? We talked about this earlier. In the imperial law view, God punished people for sin. He executed them. But that assumes that that sleep death is the punishment for sin. If you deal with an imperialist, somebody who believes that God's law functions like human law, somebody believes that God isn't executing people for sin and punishing them, in their own model, you can say, wait a second. Is it your belief that God punishes people before sin, before judgment? Oh, now you've thrown a loop at them. Because in their own model, they must be judged before they can be punished. And in their own model, judgment doesn't come to some future point. And then the punishment. So even in their model, it doesn't fit that Old Testament actions of God were punishments for sin. Even in an imperial model, it's, it's, it's contradictory. But we know better because we know the punishment for sin is what? Sleep or eternal death. And nobody has died in eternal death. It doesn't matter how it happened now. Some people are really struggling with this idea of God in the Old Testament, so I'm going to uh, do a little lengthening of our talk to add in some pieces because I've got a bunch of questions coming in on this. When you look at Old Testament after Adam's sin and how people died, people died in multiple ways. We're talking that first death going into sleep. They died because of a, one human person acting against another human person to cause it. Cain killed Abel. Some died simply of old age. Adam died at 950. Uh, Joseph died and was put buried to the Father. So they just, just because of the decay of the human organism, they died. Some died by their own actions and accidents. Absalom was riding along and his hair gets caught in a tree and he hangs himself. An accident, he dies. We find lots of ways. Some die at their own hand. Suicide. King Saul falls on his own sword and kills himself. Yet, the Bible describes in one place that God put Saul to death for his disobedience. Even though in another place, it describes the mechanism of Saul falling on his suicide, um, on his sword, committing suicide. So in some places, the Bible describes God as doing something that he permitted to happen, even though he didn't actually implement it. Because it is described in that way, King Saul is a good example, some people then get uncomfortable with God ever putting people in the grave, and so it must always be God is always allowed this to happen. Another place where God is described, 
Satan sometimes uses his power to put people in the grave when God pulls back a restraining hand. First chapter of the book of Job, fire came down at, from Satan and burned up the, the, some of the servants of Job. And the servants came and they said to Job, the fire of God fell and did this. So God is being blamed for something Satan did in that case. And so we find all of these different ones. And then sometimes God himself acts to put people asleep. I talked about the flood. I talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. If you want the best two examples in my view of God taking a specific action, the platoons that came to arrest Elijah, you understand the context. Ahab is leading the, and Jezebel is leading Israel into Baal worship for the purpose of destroying the image of God and shutting down the avenue for Messiah and, and, and stopping the plan of salvation. Elijah, God's man, is confronting Baal worship uh, to show that Baal, the god of thunder and weather, has no power over thunder and weather, weather, three and a half years of famine. And so Ahab sends the troops out to let's kill this uh, prophet of, uh, of the Lord and so we can have uh, the weather again. And, and twice uh, the platoons come and, and, and Elijah says, if I'm a man of, the, of God, if I'm a, a prophet of God, may fire come down and consume them. And twice it does. Does anybody actually think that Satan, having worked so hard to try to destroy Elijah at that moment, Satan destroyed the people coming to destroy Elijah? So that it can be proved that Elijah is a man of God. I think it's one of the best examples of God acting. And if somebody died in those platoons, did they die because they were in rebellion against God or because they were in the platoon? And could there be an 18-year-old who was drafted into the army by Ahab's uh, draft board and was sent out on duty that day who was one of the 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee? They didn't die because they were wicked. They were put to sleep because they were in the platoon, because there were larger issues at work, and God was working to keep open avenue for Messiah. And that death, well, if they believe in the Lord, they never die. They may sleep, but they never die. The other example are the, uh, the armies of Egypt in the Red Sea. That wasn't an act of Satan. And so... There is this philosophy that's trying to creep its way into Christianity that God never uses power to put people to sleep. I reject it because it does not allow for God to act in mercy, in love, in therapy, not as punishment. Now, I want to validate them for rejecting it for this reason. The reason they reject it is because they've been told their whole life God is using his power to punish sin and sinners, and he's punishing them for their disobedience. And they realize that, no, punishment doesn't come from God. It comes from, from sin itself. So they're rejecting that view or the reason, but they don't allow for the fact that, in fact, this is simply a sleep state, and God is putting them in time out, and they will arise again and, and live again. So, Imperial view, God is punishing, he's executing. Design law view, he simply turn off the power, pulled the plug, put them in sleep mode. It's like shutting down your computer, but no one is yet destroyed. He did this to keep open avenue for Messiah. No one in human history yet has had to deal with the full unveiled truth about their own lives yet. None of us have had to face infinite truth about our own life histories yet. This is why the wicked are raised to life again. So the sequence of I understand future events, Christ returns with his heavenly servers, creates new bodies for the righteous, downloads their software individualities into their new bodies, breath of life, they live again. The resurrection, we just read about it in Thessalonians. 
the righteous living on earth at that time are transfigured to hardware upgrades and they rise to meet in the air with those that are resurrected. We meet Christ in the air. The wicked on earth are put into sleep mode and the wicked in sleep mode stay in sleep mode. At the end of the thousand years, the unrepented are awakened from sleep mode. And then the thousand years, the new Jerusalem comes down from earth, the righteous are inside, the angels come with them, and the wicked are raised from sleep mode at that point. Why raise the wicked? Because God is love, and every person is given true freedom to determine their own destiny. And what's the status? How do things unfold according to, to Scripture as this happens? They are raised to finish their lives by their own free will choices. And in so doing, they reveal by their own choices, that God's actions to put them in sleep mode in no way determine their destiny. They're determining it right now. And so what's happening on earth? Jesus, saints, New Jerusalem, descend from heaven, the wicked are raised on earth, and the unrepentant are raised, souls downloaded from the heavenly service into imperfect bodies, not the sinless, perfect bodies that we have, with the same characters. Think about your computer. You shut it off, you leave it for 20 years. You don't do a thing with it. You turn it on 20 years later. What information is there when you turn it on? The same thing. So when they're turned back on, they turn back on right where they turned off. Same mind, same understanding, same rationale, same character, same method, same processes. They're the same people. They were just turned off, now they're turned on. Same train of thoughts, just as turning off your computer. An unspecified period of time. The Bible doesn't say, but it does describe in Revelation 27 through 9 that a period of time is now passing while the new Jerusalem is on earth. The righteous saints are on earth in the new Jerusalem. The wicked dead have been raised, and a period of time passes while the wicked build implements of war. And the entire time the new Jerusalem is on earth, the gates to the new Jerusalem are open. Now, think through that process. Imagine yourself watching this scenario. The, Jesus and his saints in the new Jerusalem on earth, the gates are open, the wicked are alive, yet no one comes in. What is revealed? There are no angels with flaming swords at the gates. The gates are open, and no one comes in. This is why the wicked are raised. Because the questions are always about God's trustworthiness. The questions are always about God's use of power. And the wicked are raised to demonstrate to the entire universe and the righteous saved that God's actions to keep open avenue for Messiah, to send Messiah so that he can save his creation, in no way denied people opportunity for salvation or kept them out of the kingdom. And so on the earth, with the evidence in the New Jerusalem, with righteous loved ones up on the wall, hanging signs down, Johnny, come on in. Nobody comes in. They are all kept out because they don't want to be in there. And then you may say, I can't believe anybody would really do that. I want you to imagine Waco, Texas, the Branch Davidians. Do you remember the story? They had a compound. Imagine you had a brother or a sister or a parent inside the compound believing David Koresh was the Messiah. And your loved one is up on the wall of the compound with a sign with your name on it saying, come on in and worship David. 
Are you going in? I don't think you're going in. That's how every person outside the city will see those of us inside the city. They are so settled into Satan's lies. They are so convinced that the lie is the truth that no amount of truth or light has any impact on them. And God raises them to finish their life by their own choices and simultaneously reveals that he would love them in there. But there's nothing he can do. And so in the end, he handles it in such a way so that when they are finally eradicated, you can go up to Jesus and put your arm around him and say, it's okay, there's nothing more you could have done. So they all stay out because they believe the lies of Satan. They stay out by their own choice. Thus, it is shown that God's actions to power people down in human history in no way determines their destiny. Even with the evidence of the New Jerusalem on earth, they won't be convinced. Each person finishes their own life by their own choice, consistent with the laws of love and liberty. No coercion ever. Key learning points. Human beings are tripartite, body, soul, and spirit. To be operational, we have to have all three parts. Being in sleep mode is not the death of sin. The death of sin is when individuality, software, is destroyed, annihilation, non-existence. All who are eternally lost are lost because they don't want to be in God's kingdom of love. Okay, time for a roundtable discussion.